Today on The Topping Show, Matt Walsh gets demonetized and leaves YouTube. House Republicans pass a bill to protect female athletes. Netflix is sued for race swapping, but it's not what you think. Biden prepares for a re-election bid. Seagate is hit by a $300 million penalty by U.S. authorities. Facebook sells for $725 million. SpaceX Starship explodes. BuzzFeed loses, loses its buzz to shut down. And Twitter Blue begins their checkmark purge. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for tuning in today. Today's episode of the Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-add reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Quite have to say he's quite handsome and brilliant. That's me, by the way. That's the joke. Anyway, if you're a IT leader or business owner, give us a little assistance. You can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, jumping into the business part of the podcast, you had Facebook settle a class action lawsuit for $725 million, which sounds like a big number until you realize their revenues astronomically much greater than that. And this, this does put the case behind them. Now, this is from when a federal U.S. federal judge gave initial approval for the settlement between Facebook Meta and the class action lawsuit. The lawsuit is actually coming from people who claim that Facebook shared their personal information and their personal data without proper consent between May of 2007 and December of 2022 and live in the U.S. during that time. Which sounds like it basically applies to everyone. And I would love to know which lawyer had so much time. I know they're paid by the hour, but in terms of, you think of the terms and conditions, when you agree to an iTunes agreement, a Facebook agreement, Think of any software contract or any agreement you use for a service. The text is so micro, small, tiny. How many hours do they spend control effing or, you know, control searching and reading through those documents to find that they actually did not abide by the contract they themselves wrote to come to this discovery and say, Facebook is in the wrong. We're going to sue you so we can get compensated. Now, it also sounds like a big number, $725 million. Well, the U.S. population is about 380 million people. How many of them are on Facebook? Maybe cut that in half, 150 million, 200. Take that number, divide the two. Don't forget the lawyer's fees. They get get their cut. So each person might get three bucks. I mean, so you can go online and claim, I believe, if you, you have to realize, what's your time worth per hour? And then you have to go online and do all... Personally, I'm not going to waste my time with that. I, most of the stuff I put on my Facebook is pretty bland. It's not really that exciting. or It's not sensitive information. It's not, I know it's a public platform, and I don't own, you know, it's their platform. So I'm not too surprised some people are disgruntled. But again, relatively big settlement. Now Facebook Meta can put that behind it and keep printing money as it's one of the most popular apps out there and social media platforms. Now, going on to other businesses you have spacex and their starship exploded now this is only about four minutes into the launch over in south texas and the spacecraft was quite a optimistic and engineering from an engineering perspective extremely impressive it was the largest and most powerful rocket ever built with coming in at 390 feet long 
and the rocket le reached a height of about 25 miles above the Earth before it started to enter a spin, at which point it self-destructed after its automated flight termination system activated, which is a pretty fancy term. Automated flight termination, I don't know if that's technically considered an app, but nevertheless, the computers realized that there's a tailspin and you don't want that big heavy object hitting the Earth causing collateral damage, so blow it up in the air, so lots of little pieces instead, much less lethal. Now, one of the most interesting things to come from this in terms of almost like a political quip, you had the SpaceX engineering resource by the name of Tice, and they said that the rocket suffer suffered a, quote, rapid, unscheduled disassembly, unquote, which is a hilariously brilliant way of saying it blew up. It had a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. And the importance of this and the significance of this star this rocket, this is the Starship rocket that was picked by NASA for the 2025 Artemis three moon mission, which would be the first mankind will return to the moon moon's Earth's surface since the Apollo program ended in 1972. So it's astonishing to think that the U.S. has gone about half a century before going back. And I wholeheartedly expect them to put a flag, a U.S. flag, on the opposite side so you can claim both hemispheres, maybe, of the moon or both sides. I wonder what kind of scientific research you're doing there, or perhaps the big question is why. I know Elon. Selfishly, in terms of what his goal is, he wants to get to Mars. So a lot of people are speculating. He thinks he should set up a base on the moon and kind of go from there to the Mars. There's always a lot more than meets the eye in terms of what's the long-term business plans. But again, it's a contract they won. And a lot of engineering ran into this. And I'm not too surprised it blew up in terms of you look at the things that can go wrong on one of the most complex mechanical marvels that human mankind has put together. And his pseudo, not, Elon didn't write the autobiography, it was wrote by Ashley Vance, Vinici. Nevertheless, in that book, they talk about when SpaceX was first founded, I believe the first two times or three times, the rockets immediately just blew up and they failed again and again and again. And I believe it was the fourth time where Elon took what little money he had left because his money was spent between SpaceX and Tesla. And he put all in his money into those two endeavors because he believed in those two things. And on the fourth try, the rocket successfully made it into orbit and it proved the concept of SpaceX, which once they had that proven concept, they can go to all the contractors or they get the government contracts for moving those items to space. They could also sell the service of moving satellites to space, which of course propelled the company being the most, being the only successful private company to do such an endeavor, as far as I know. I know you have companies that assist NASA, such as Lockheed Martin in the defense industry, and they're invaluable engineering resources, but it was an astronomical feat of business for SpaceX to do it alone. The closest it ever came to it was Andy Beal. He's an entrepreneur in Texas, founder of Beal Bank. He also founded Beal Aerosmith, Aerospace rather. Aerosmith's a great band, but Beal Aerospace had a similar endeavor and vision of Tesla, or, um, SpaceX, but they just reached a certain point where they needed an exponential amount of resources, aka money, engineering talent, and eventually they didn't have an end in sight in terms of the government kept getting contracts to themselves and the incumbent solutions were winning, so they had kind of had to cut their losses. So SpaceX is the most famous long-term example of that success. Now, going on to other business news, again, actually this is a little bit, most people will say this is a good thing, at least 
most people, maybe half the country, given the political affiliations. But BuzzFeed loses their buzz and is shutting down. Which is really a shame. Really a shame. They're, they're not at all political hacks or frivolous, nonsensical article creators or venomous, evil folks censoring folks. They're not at all that. Well, time shall tell. Well, no, I'll just share some examples. Now, they're basically known for writing silly articles that seem as cheesy and useless as ever. They, they have those little interactive quizzes. You'd be like, what kind of cheese are you based on your input? And one of their most recent articles, I kid you not, this shows a complete, this shows perhaps a pinnacle intellect, and I say that with extreme sarcasm, but it probably shows the average talent of the outdoor play. But their recent article was, I kid you not, quote, 11 delightful poems found in Pornhub comments, unquote. That being an adult content website. So they're referring to poems found in the comments section of a video channel website platform for adult content. That's the kind of high-quality journalism you could expect from BuzzFeed. And they also pu published the de now-debunked Steele dossier meant to discredit former President Donald Trump. And they also attacked free speech multiple times. What they would do is they'd be writing an article on a particular individual, and usually 99% of the time, someone who has political affiliations that are more on the right. And then they would reach out to platformers such as YouTube, and they would go, hey, uh, YouTube, we can call up we're writing an article about this evil right-wing fascist. Why are you platforming this person? And YouTube now bring that to their attention. No matter what that person's content actually was, they usually strike the profile or give them a strike on the channel. Three strikes on YouTube and your channel's deleted permanently forever, completely erased from history. And it was a very effective tool for them to censor folks with different political ideologies. Now, they would also just completely have a, as if that's not morally vacuous enough, even more worse, some might say, they never showed a profit, which you're seeing a lot of, you're seeing this trend a lot in tech companies and companies that are more towards activism than actual results. Kind of like Twitter, which more and more of Elon's recent interviews are showing that it was a more activist website, not focused on making a profit or making a good product for the widest amount of people in the market. It was just, basically to censor people, usually on the right, and as well as push political ideologies. And it really wasn't designed and they weren't striving to give the best product for everyone, which if you're a giant media company, one would think you would want to have the greatest number of customers. You wouldn't want to pigeonhole yourself in into one particular group, left or right or center. Margo, center would probably be the best bet. but. It's just fascinating to see more and more of these companies die. So the parent company that owns BuzzFeed, they're laying off about 15% of their entire staff, which includes shutting down BuzzFeed itself. They will surely be, they will be lost, but not missed, at least by people who enjoy free speech, I would say. Now, speaking of Twitter, their purge has begun. So a couple months back, Elon came out with a brilliant idea, which ironically was mocked by everyone at the time, of Twitter Blue, which rudimentary speaking, it means pay $8 a month, you get to keep the little blue check mark on your profile that says you're authenticated, or you're, and it would mean less ads for you, and it also show folks that you're a real person, or well, at least you're a real person with a credit card. And I believe prior to Elon, it used to be you gave some IDs, as well as articles you've written on other sites, but if you're conservative, 
very few people ever actually got authorized or rather they were ever actually authenticated with the old regime. And there are leaked documents saying some news sites were paying Twitter $10,000 just to get that blue check mark before Elon took over. Nevertheless, Elon took over and he decided we need to go to the subscription model because we need some revenue because ad advertisers are leasing, bots are getting kicked away, so there's less bots, so the total number of users look smaller. And this stuff isn't cheap. He laid off another billion business but he laid it off about 80% of the staff and you still have the same product for the end users showing how much fat you could trim from a giant corporation in some cases. Now, Elon came out with the idea, monthly subscription, and all the power users and the celebrities and the people with millions of followers are all disgruntled. They claim that they helped build the platform, which from a certain point of view could be appreciated because a lot of people who worship celebrities and will follow every word they say as if it's the, the gospel or the Bible, they will go to that platform, they'll sign up for a profile because they were allured to those folks. And when Twitter was first started, they had competitions on who would get the first million followers and other media companies helped propel their that advertising campaign. But now that the platform has been built up and those celebrities are also profiting off the platform, yet Stephen King coming out, one of the best authors in our time, I would say, he was fervently against having to pay $8 a month, even though he's also benefited countless millions of dollars from being able to advertise his newest products, his newest books. So there's a benefit to those celebrities as well. It's not a one-way street. They're given access to this huge platform. And before this subscription, it was at no cost. So Elon originally said, you know, it's going to happen $8 a month. So it's finally happened on four, Liz yesterday on April 20th. And all the blue check marks started to go away for the folks who did not already start sign up for the subscription of Twitter Blue or their subscription services, including journalism, celebrities, academics, what have you. So he had quote unquote top us users, I almost said losers, a little, maybe a Freudian, Freudian slip of what I think of some of these folks. Nevertheless, you had everyone from Donald Trump, Pope Francis, Bill Gates, Kim Kardashian, even the founder of the Twitter, Jack Dorsey, they all lost their blue check marks and they were, a lot of them are freaking out. That being said, the risk for impersonation, I would say, is low as long as you click on the profile because they still have all of their followers. So there might be three Bill Gates on Twitter now, but only one has 50 plus million followers. You could probably guess which one is the real Bill Gates. So it'll be interesting to see how many people maybe this incentivizes to sign up. Personally, I haven't found much of an ROI advertising this or the IT company I own on Twitter. We've done some posts for our events, but I don't know what it takes to go quote unquote go viral, so to say. Maybe we need to tag more categories like cybersecurity or what have you. But it'll be interesting to see how many people and businesses see the value in Twitter Blue to help propel the company towards profitability someday as they continue to try to trim cost and turn the company around. Now, other interesting IT news as well as celebrity news going into the culture part of the podcast. You have conservative commentator Matt Walsh, famously known being a commentator for the Daily Wire media company, conservatively based out of Tennessee. And he does a daily podcast, daily YouTube channel. Most people know him from his documentary called What is a Woman? Where he goes around literally the whole globe asking people to define what is a woman as, interestingly as enough, in 2023, some people cannot define that, which is the pun of the movie. He'll go up to adult humans who cannot define that term it's quite entertaining. And then he goes to other countries. He actually goes to Africa 
and they're all like, we have no idea what you're talking about. This is a man, this is a woman. Kind of to prove his point that the current social initiatives and the phenomenons are more isolated to the Western culture. And just to prove his point, it was a fascinating documentary which propelled the Daily Wire into new success. I believe their subscription, their multi-subscriber account, which is a paid subscription service they sell, went up by nearly double which for a small, relatively small company, they have 250 employees, I believe, ballpark. For them to have that type of growth, they're at about a million paid subscribers. That's an astronomical leap in independent journalism, independent media. So fascinating to see their company growth. Nevertheless, recently, Matt Walsh from YouTube has become under fire. YouTube is criticizing Matt Walsh, saying that he disrespects pronouns of folks who identify as trans, transsexuals or trans. In particular, he had a couple of his videos in which he criticized the... Uh, trans activist and TikToker, I don't know what you call an influencer these days, but Dylan Mulvaney, who famously came to light by representing Bud Light to celebrate Dylan's 365 day of being a woman, in which Dylan documents all the unique things that make a woman a woman, such as prancing through the forest in high heels. Now, Matt Walsh just covered that topic, and because Matt Walsh referred to the wrong, he, the wrong, pronouns or the pronouns being she he the pronouns that dylan doesn't agree with matt has been criticized by youtube and youtube has put a gun to his head metaphorically they're telling matt if you do not respect dylan's pronouns we will completely obliterate you from the platform so they first of all they demonetized him which means he doesn't make any money off the advertising dollars once your channel gets i believe it's a thousand subscribers and seven or ten thousand view hours they start to pay you Someday we'll get there, knock on wood. Thanks again, everyone, for liking and subscribing. Helps every single one and commenting. Every one of those things helps the channel grow and develop and sharing, of course. Now, I was astonished to hear how much he was making. So Matt Wallace, during a presentation, I believe at the University of Iowa, he noted that he was making about $100,000 a month from YouTube ads alone, which is astonishing. And it's a great thing for him and his family to have that type of revenue. Now, the scary thing about YouTube is, like this situation just goes, they could take away it like that. So first they demonetized him. And they told him if he does not stop using the quote unquote improper pronouns or whatever you want to regard that situation or refer to that situation, they'll get rid of the channel completely. And he has 2.3 million subscribers on YouTube, which is astronomically impressive for a conservative commentator. As traditionally, most of those folks are on Fox News. A lot of them aren't. They're not the best when it comes to social media. That's why it's easy to see the outliers like Steven Crowder, you have Ben Shapiro, you have Matt Walsh, where they really stand out partially for that reason. And to have over a million subscribers in and of itself is a huge achievement on YouTube. It's a very rare achievement to get to. And from Matt's perspective, he is very biblically faith and he does not believe in the trans identity situation he believes it's inauthentic and it goes against what his core beliefs are. So he's saying he would rather lose that money completely than cave or bend the knee, which I can certainly admire in a day and age where everyone seems to be more than willing to sell out their morals and values for a couple extra bucks. To see someone do the opposite is quite admirable. Although I don't agree with everything he says. There's some things I think he has right on point. And for someone to stand up for they, what they believe in, 
really isn't impressive until it costs them money or costs them something. And to go against a huge cultural initiative and to risk such a great amount of fiscal, as well as we know he's under threats thanks to his DMs and his Twitter leaks. To do something like that, I find is quite admirable. If you hard pressed, let me know in the comments, would you turn down $100,000 a month to stick to your principles? He does have a base salary thanks to the Daily Wire, that's his primary employer, but that's over a million dollars a year. And he has kids, I think he has two more kids that are just born, so he has several kids, at least up to six, and they all, you know, gotta feed the kids. They all want, maybe they want, hopefully, depending on your belief system, you may or may not want them going to college these days, but all those costs add up. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Now, he did let everyone know his show, his full version, will be posted for free on Daily Wire Plus, which is their uh, their hosting platform that they're building out, as well as Twitter, which is an interesting development. Elon hinted that as he tries to grow the, grow the Twitter platform, he doesn't want just to be the character limit where you just type in a character or a 30-second promo video. He hinted that he wanted to have long-format videos. This is going to be a huge, interesting development for Twitter, it's also going to be a huge astronomical cost. One of the biggest costs when you're starting a social media company is the hosting. And given the political climate, you don't want to host on third parties like in the cloud. You have famously you have Amazon Web Services and Azure being two of the big, Azure by Microsoft. They're cloud platforms. And remember, the cloud is just someone else's computer. And the reason Parler, the social media company, was nuked from the planet is because they entrusted third-party providers, the cloud, aka Amazon Web Services, to host their website and their media. And the website decided, eh, we don't agree with what you're doing, Parler. We're gonna cite you out for something that all the other websites are doing, but we don't like you, your competition. So they destroyed the platform overnight and then the website went away because there's no one to host it. So Daily Wire needs to build that out internally and for Elon to take on that big cost, if they let if they built in long format videos where you have an hour video on Twitter, that's a huge amount of data storage. And you also have to worry about bandwidth. And then depending on the quality of the video, you're talking anywhere between a couple of megabytes to gigabytes for a single file. And granted, it gets compressed, but all that data adds up. My podcast, my daily podcast, like the raw file, is about four to five gigabytes of data for the daily podcast. My interview podcast where we have nicer cameras. We have Blackmagic, I believe it's a micro, micro Studio 4K. We have three of those cameras going to the switcher. An hour interview will be about 700 gigabytes of data before you actually edit and press it, but most people want to save the raw data in case you want to make greater edits in the future. And that's one of the reasons Google has a huge leap over Rumble and all these competitors because they have the physical infrastructure with their data centers across the globe and seemingly unlimited resources so that they can store that data and they can lose money before your channel makes a profit. Like right now, this is being hosted for free on Google servers, wherever it is across the globe. That's costing them money. And they're not yet making a profit on this channel because there's no ads yet. Once there's ads, then you have that ad share revenue where you get some to the creator, some to Google. It's a win-win situation until they decide to nuke it. But most channels on YouTube never become monetized. Most of them, most videos don't get over, I think, a, a thousand views. Let's break that trend today. But that means that most of those videos are losing and costing YouTube, Google money. So I'll be interested to see how this develops and if Twitter can take on that new capability. Now, other interesting media news in the culture section, you have Netflix being sued 
for race swapping, but it's the first time ever is actually the opposite of what you would expect. Now, this is regarding their upcoming premiere, their series called Cleopatra. Now, historically, most epic films and movies actually swap um, traditionally roles played by Caucasian folks for African-American folks. So that's how the swap has been going for probably about 10 years if you look at trends in media. And there really wasn't much pushback. Most folks didn't care. They considered it empowerment. There, there was a couple of folks on the right who they, they'll say some things on social media, but there wasn't a mass boycott or a mass campaign to show if anyone was really disgruntled if they would stop actually watching the content because of those decisions. Now, this is an interesting situation. So you have Cleopatra, which, again, Egypt, and the show decided to portray or cast that particular actor as African-American and mixed race. Now, most historians note she was of Greek descent, and, oh yeah, we also have, you know, paintings, sculptures, as well as you have, I believe, a couple other types of media back in the day. But you have visual representation of this historical figure to show that they were of Greek descent. Now, this actually comes from a lawsuit. So it's astronomically impressive to see someone suing Netflix to begin with. Talk about David and Goliath. Now, you have an Egyptian lawyer by the name of Mahoud al-Samari. S-E-M-A-R-Y. Now, he filed a lawsuit over the Netflix show called Queen Cleopatra, and he's specifically accusing them of, quote, erasing the Egyptian identity, unquote, because of their casting of the main character, Cleopatra. So this is hilariously interesting in terms of, it's the exact opposite of what anyone would have thought historically based on how they changed characters in media throughout my lifetime. And it's, his justifications are similar to the other instances. Now, he has filed not only legal action to take against Netflix, so not only, I believe, monetary damages, but he's actually pushing to shut them down in Egypt. Now, the show is also being produced by Jada Smith, which is best, who's best known for being a terrible wife. I mean, a wife who puts her husband in constant misery with open relationships. And you can tell every time he's interviewed, he's dead inside. The most awkward, weird thing on the planet they had an interview, so they allowed cameras into their lives. They sat down, and she talked about how she is with other men, and she goes, how does that make you feel? That slap, that heat, there is no, I can't think of a, a more uncomfortable situation to put out in the public, and he just, he just took it. And then you had that famous situation with the Oscars where you had Chris Rock making a joke about Jada not having any hair, and Will Smith was, la was laughing at the situation. Then she just leans in. So Jada leans into Will, whispers something. And then Will goes up to the Oscars and slapped a smaller man. Which, to slap a man in and of itself is pathetic beyond all belief. Unless you have a glove and it's like a duel. But of course, that's only okay because you're going to shoot, shoot each other with a gun after. That's still masculine. That's still okay. But to slap a man and someone who's smaller than you in front of the whole world so yeah there's still nevertheless people boycotting will smith in terms of they don't respect him they're not watching any of his new productions clearly a disgusting situation all around now jada smith when she was putting together this netflix piece someone was asking her well why did you choose this particular person for the role i mean this is an unusual situation given the historical provenance of the person why did you choose to deviate from 
historical notes. Now, she said, particularly, quote, We don't often see, get to see or hear stories of black, about black queens, and that was really important to me, as well as my daughter, and just for my community to be able to know these stories because there's tons of them, unquote. Now, this is in direct contrast to a couple of the movies that have been out in the past 12 months, with which actually used historically accurate African-American women to highlight some of the things they've done in history. I believe there was the African Queen only a couple months ago. Now, I didn't see it, but the main character is an African-American woman portrayed as a very strong individual. Also, it would be, I think it would be great if we actually made some movies that highlighted some of the astronomical things that African-American women have done throughout the centuries. Harriet Tubman would be a great movie. It's action, adventure, it has a moral, great moral story core to it. Let me know in the comments who else do you think would be a great person that we could actually make a film about that is historically accurate. Now, this is even more bizarre. So a lot of culture pushback, one of the most popular things people like to do culturally is they use a website called change.org. Now, there's a change.org petition calling on Netflix to cancel the race, the race swapped Queen Cleopatra docuseries due to the historical inaccuracies. Now, interestingly enough, though, Change.org very quickly removed the petition claiming that it violated community guidelines, which is another opaque thing when it comes to a lot of, unfortunately, these days, they seem to be more tech-based companies, but you have a lot of these situations where I don't understand why that was taken down. It You don't see anyone violent or angry about this situation you see more people just anecdotally when i was looking at twitter and other articles you know people concerned about historical inaccuracies you also have folks in the greek community who feel like they're they're one of someone someone of historical significance is being taken away from their history because in a way this is rewriting that media and rewriting history in that way so it's interesting to see this cultural phenomenon. This is the first time we've really seen any, anyone push back against that initiative that Netflix has done for quite some time. And it's interesting enough that this was the one thing, and again, this is someone in Egypt complaining about the is issue. Maybe that's why. But fascinating to see this is a cultural phenomenon in that regard. Now, going on to the politics part of the podcast, you have Biden preparing to la launch his re-election bid next week. And it's actually fascinating in terms of, I think we have four or five Republicans now saying that they're running for president. And you still don't have Biden officially announcing it, which some people, a lot of people are skeptical. He's getting up there in age and cognitive ability. So folks are concerned, can he run? And this might explain why he didn't announce it. So they're claiming that it's due to a historical providence. They actually want to celebrate the moment last year in which he announced the presidency. So. They're trying to apparently coincide the date in which it will be the fourth anniversary of when he first announced his successful presidential bid four years ago against Donald Trump. And a lot of people are optimistic about his results, I mean, or his odds. Last time he was elected, he had 81,284,000 votes. And that beat, so when Trump won, Trump only had 74,221,000 votes. So within those four years, Biden was able to cultivate a lot of support. And by the numbers, he has a big margin of victory if you look at the percentage. Now, it'll be interesting to see 
how many people allow his age to affect their willingness to vote for him. He's currently 80 years old, and historically speaking, that's the oldest United States president in history. So if he gets elected, he'll be serving until he's 84. And a lot of folks are concerned, can he, should he, will he? There's not a lot of options. You might have the governor from California, Gavin Newsom, who in California is very popular and might have wide, more of a widespread Democratic base of support for him. But historically speaking, the incumbent usually wins, whether it's technology or politics or you're selling a car. The thing that's already in place is very hard to displace. You need a overwhelming benefit to do that. Many would argue in this case you would have with competition from presidential nominees, but historically speaking, it's very hard to displace the incumbent solution, uh, which is why it was unprecedented. Many people were shocked when Trump lost back during the last election because it's been years since you had someone displace that trend of you have a president serve two terms in a row. I believe the only person in history who has been elected president twice but did not serve them consecutively was perhaps Grover Cleveland? Let me know in the comments. It escapes me. It's one of those fun little, one of those fun little, little uh, history trivia facts that you hear of every five to ten years or something like that. But again, Trump would need to increase his base exponentially. And he needs to win a lot more independent voters to make up that gap that he had during the last election. A lot of people are speculating he might have a shot thanks to the economy and a myriad of other issues that are concerning Americans. Inflation worse than 40 years. But it'll be interesting to see once, if Biden actually makes an official announcement that he is running, will that cause other Democrats to not challenge him during the primary? Because again, you had Biden win the win. He won 2020 election with massive slot, massive number of votes. And then during the actual midterms, historically, there should have been a red wave by Republicans, but it was more like a drizzle. And so historically speaking, Democrats did great during the midterms. Normally, the incumbent party does much better during midterms. But just based on the midterm results alone, Biden got more support because many attribute him and the ripple effect of his actions or rather the administration actions as why maybe they did better in the midterms. Personally, I think it's just because Republicans chose some terribly, woefully pitiful nominees. I still don't understand why they had Dr. Oz running for a state he didn't even live in. And again, Dr. Oz historically, if you look at his political stance throughout his life, he's very left-leaning. So to make to try to run him as a Republican was a ridiculously foolish thing. And many other decisions or many other mediocre politicians were running on that ticket. I also attribute I don't think it was just one side being brilliant or being more tactical. I think Republicans shot themselves in the foot with subpar nominees. Nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see when he announces what happens then. Now, other interesting political news, you have House Republicans passing a bill to attempt female to protect female athletes. The bill passed 219 to 203 with some drones and cowards, I mean elected officials abstaining from voting. You had 10 Democrats not vote and three Republicans not vote. Which I don't care what the subject of a bill is. You should vote on it. If you you should re, you have to read it, you have to vote on it. Whether you're liberal or Republican, you should you should want to know your elected officials' stance on these issues. They shouldn't be able to just sit on their lowers and do nothing. Granted, maybe they had a sick day, but 
it's one of those things where if you add up those votes, I mean, that's enough where it would have been a tie or more, actually, because you got 213, 13, 46, 17, 13, 216. So, okay, it wouldn't have swung it, but still, to just abstain from voting, that should be highly frowned upon at the very least and maybe even illegal. Because, again, let us know your stance so we can appropriately vote for or vote against you. One would think that would be common sense. Nevertheless, going into actual bill. Now, the House bill is known as, again, great government. I don't know if a computer labels this or someone actually thinks of these. Maybe it's just a regular counting nomenclature. But it's called House Bill 734,118. How inspiring. Nevertheless, now it mirrors laws that were passed in 20 states. Now, the bill specifically bars transgender women from playing in teams consistent with their gender identity and amends Title IX. Title IX is the federal law that bars sex-based discrimination to define sex as based solely on a person's reproductive biology and genetics at birth. Transgender students would be able to practice or train with this program designated for women or girls. Now, one of the reasons they are introducing this bill is to counter a proposal from the Biden administration. The Biden administration recently proposed a Title IX change rule, which would be on the athletics, athletic, the athletics, there's a fancy word for this, but the athletics of the eligibility that allow transgender, transgender girls to play sports. Rudimentary speaking, it seems people on the right do not want to have them mixing folks who identify as girls as playing with biological girls and folks on the left want them to have that in their choice. It's very much, it's becoming a very politically bipolar situation. It seems it's very much dividing the United States. Um, if you ask people at a bar, you might find some folks in the middle. And this bill is good in the sense of now we know where most of the people are in terms of the House, you know, which side they believe in. But the actual odds of this game becoming a law is basically zero. Because, yes, the House, Repu the House is controlled right now barely by the Republicans thanks to their ineptitudes during the midterms. They, they barely won a majority in the House. Now, Republic they might have the House, but you have the Democrats having the Senate and they have the presidency. So let's say best case scenario for the Republicans, this passes the Senate. It won't. It maybe should. But if it passes that, it has to go to the presidency. President has to, has to go on his desk, has to sign off on it. And he's, he's introduced a counter bill. So obviously he's not going to approve this bill. So that means it would get kicked back down. It would be vetoed. So the only way to overrule that is with a two-thirds majority vote, which maybe in the House, but no way in the Senate. So there's virtually no chance of this becoming a law. But I still think it's a good thing because now we know where our elected officials stand on the issue vote whatever you think is best. And it does have real world consequences. You have biological women who are losing scholarships in their high school or college athletics because you have biological males who were born with more testosterone, bigger bone structure. There's a lot of advantages to that, which is why they're dominating those sports. So there are real world consequences. So now that you know, again, look up how your elected official voted and then vote them out of office or reelect them based on what your belief system is. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day. Not the greatest fiscal business blunder, but a blunder in and it of itself that will be remembered for quite some time. 
Now you have Seagate, which is best known for external hard drives, internal hard drives, where your data is stored. So you have hard drives and they have to pay a fine of $300 million to the US authorities. And although it's not the biggest fiscal business blunder, I think it deserves a business blunder of the day because of why they were fined. Now, the penalty was for shipping $1.1 billion worth of hard drives to China-based Huawei, which at the time was in violation of US export laws. This equates to about 7.4 million hard drives, and they became Huawei's sole supplier of the hard drives for Huawei being an OEM or original equipment manufacturer. So you think of this laptop on the desk here, Dell doesn't make the actual processor. That's made more likely, more often than not, made by Intel. So Intel supplies it to Dell's manufacturer. And they're doing that for Huawei for some of their things since Huawei is a big, gigantic tech company based out of China. However, they've been blacklisted in many cases because there's been spyware caught on their devices it's based in China, which is known for having an unprecedented amount of spying capabilities. So a lot of companies are putting embargoes saying you cannot ship technology there, you cannot do business with them, that particular entity. Now, these are for hard drives that are sold between August 2020 and September 2021. And this came all because of a rule that was passed in August 2020, restricting the sales of certain Ford items that were made with US tech and US companies. Now. In 2019, Huawei is actually specifically registered as a person or a company rather to be blacklisted. And Seagate is arguing because many of these technologies are not made in the USA. If you look at hard drives, they're mainly made in Asia. They're not made in Detroit. So Seagate, although they have an American office, I believe in, is over in California, but they're being manufactured across the globe. So they're arguing these aren't American-made goods or technologies. They have engineers here, so the U.S. government might be arguing that they have the research and development, they're designing the technology and hard drives in the U.S., but they're made in another country. So that's why Seagate is pushing back and they don't agree with this outcome. I don't know if they have the ability to appeal it at the moment, but that's why they're kind of saying, well, it's not a U.S.-made good. We make it across the globe. So why is it maybe because the U.S. has some contracts with them? But it'll be interesting to see how that develops or if this is the final ruling. Nevertheless, that is certainly the business blunder of the day. Now, thank you, everyone, for taking the time to tune in today. Cannot thank you enough. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. Every one of those things helps the channel grow and development. It'll help us increase our content quality. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your co-workers, tell your enemies, heck, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe, fight the good fight.